We at Harlem Baptist Church want to welcome you as you join in listening to the word preached with us. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged as we hear from the word of God. We pray that through this recording, you would know the truth of the gospel and that you would find life in Christ. If you don't have a church home, you are always welcome to join us. If you do, we pray this would not be a substitute, but instead a supplement to the preaching of your home church. Information about Harlem Baptist, as well as other sermons and resources, can be found at our website, www.harlanbaptist.org. We are continuing our time in the book of Romans this morning. So I want to invite you to uh, stand and read the word of the Lord with me. We're going to read from verses 18 through 23 of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So if you will stand with me for the reading of God's word. Let's read verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, one of the most difficult things for us to understand because of our brokenness, because of our sin, Lord, is to recognize just how broken we are and why it is that we are so sinful. Lord, I pray that as we seek to understand Lord, just exactly what our rebellion against you is, why that is so clearly evident in the world around us. Lord, may you help us. Help us to clearly understand, Lord, your intended purposes for us. Help us to clearly understand, Lord, your holiness. Help us to understand, Lord, your glory and why it must not be shared. Lord, help us to understand, Lord, your grace extended to us and your wrath poured out. Lord, these are difficult things. May you give us grace to hear from your word. May you give me grace to preach according to your word. Lord, may you make yourself known this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The wrath of God 
is revealed. You see, the promise of the Gospel, which is what Paul is wanting to share with the church in Rome, and it's not that they hadn't heard the Gospel. We've talked about this already. They knew the Gospel. They're a church. They had believed, but there is a threat that is a threat to all churches at all times that through the work of the devil and through our own brokenness, we might start to believe the lies of the world that we might reject the truth. And what Paul is seeking to do, he's still, even in this passage, so you might recognize some parallels to the verses we looked at. We looked at the theme verses in 16 and 17. And Paul is building off of that same same statement. He said, we talked the last two weeks about the righteousness of God revealed in the Gospel. And we talked about why that was the righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness He's made possible for us, but how He accomplished that righteousness for us, us sinners, by His righteous act of justice, substituting His Son in our stead so that His justice would be complete. But we get to this section, verse 18 through 23, and Paul's going to begin to unpack just what is wrong. Because what we understand, what we know is that salvation, we should, we should know this, maybe we don't know this, I should not assume that. But salvation isn't explainable apart from wrath. Now this world would like to talk about salvation as if there's a salvation that comes from God, as if there's a saving that needs to happen, as if we're going to make what's good better. But that's not what's happening here. God is making what's broken right again. But we've got to understand the reason things are broken is because of what mankind has done. And Paul's going to make that very clear here. And salvation is salvation from the wrath which is due to those who've rebelled against God due to their sin. So we need to get clear just from the get-go. Salvation is rescue from God and His wrath against sinners who are justly condemned. But salvation is God's plan to redeem while maintaining His justice by taking on the punishment Himself. So that His love and His righteousness, His grace might be even more fully revealed. So salvation is not explainable apart from wrath. You can't get saved if you don't need to be saved from something. So Paul is making that very clear in these verses and in the coming, the rest of chapter 1. He's going to make us aware because in our brokenness we say it's foolish. The The world says the Gospel is foolish. Because we don't need saving. Look, I can take care of everything myself. We try to ignore the problem and Paul, through looking at these verses, through fleshing out what's really wrong, he is making very clear exactly what's wrong and why the wrath of God has come. You see, God's righteousness is revealed in the Gospel. But we should not pass over quickly the fact that Paul uses that same parallel statement. He says, for the righteousness of God 
is in it, the right, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and then he goes on to immediately say, for the wrath of God is revealed. See, we don't get gospel without wrath. We don't get the gospel apart from understanding the wrath of God and why it has come. So why has the wrath of God come? It says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And it's very important that he lists these two words, the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why these two different aspects? Well, what we see in those two words, those two descriptions, God's wrath is revealed against those things because ungodliness is that vertical relationship. We've rejected our relationship with God saying that we know better than Him, that we deserve glory, that we want to be in control. We've done all sorts of ungodliness in that we are refusing to bear His image rightly, refusing to reflect His goodness, His characteristics. That's the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness of men and that we've rejected God's rule, rejected God's purpose for us. But then it's also been revealed against the unrighteousness of men. That horizontal plane. You see, men are unrighteous. We talked about what righteousness was last week. It's the expectation of what should be done and that it is done. Well, men don't act righteous towards one another, do they? We are unrighteous people not treating one another with the God-honoring, God-glorifying love and respect that we were created to do. And it is for our unrighteousness and for our ungodliness that the wrath of God is revealed. See, God will not deal with such injustice. Because God is holy and God is good. God's wrath is coming because we get both of these wrong. We get both of those wrong. We don't relate to God rightly and we don't relate to one another rightly at all. But what's most interesting is that we get the second wrong because we get the first one wrong. And what has to happen in the Gospel is that that ungodliness, that vertical relationship must be repaired. It must be reconciled. Otherwise, every attempt, and we'll look at this in a moment, every attempt to reconcile that horizontal relationship will end in futility. We must know how be rightly reconciled to a holy and just God, we must recognize our rebellion. So I think one of the, the things I want to accomplish is really to ask some questions this morning as we look at this and to look at some helpful answers. One of the first of these is to, we are just finishing in question number 52, the New City Catechism. We've worked through that for a year, a little over a year. We 
previously had worked through the Baptist Catechism, which is just a, a catechism, a, a question and answer format of the Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, the one we use is based on the Baptist Confession of Faith from all the way back in the 1600s. But the second question from that catechism that we did a few years ago, it mirrors the other catechisms of Protestantism by asking this question. What is the chief end of man? You see, we don't get this right. We don't understand how the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness of man, the unrighteousness of men, if we don't first understand what we were created for in the first place. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. See, this is rooted in our created purpose. What Adam and Eve were originally created to do, they were, to, they were created in the image of God. They were told to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth, and to, to take care of God's creation that He had given them to cultivate and use for His glory as His representatives. As we've already reflected upon in previous sermons, we know that didn't last for very long, for they believed Satan's lie, they doubted God's character, God's truth, God's word to them, and they embraced a lie, and there we have the fall and the brokenness that we now know. So man, according to this definition, has not accomplished his chief end. Man has not accomplished his chief end. And the point of Paul's passage in Romans 1, 18-23 is to demonstrate this very truth. What we see is that the gospel is necessary because of man's failure to follow his created purpose. The gospel is necessary because of man's failure to follow his created purpose, which is bring glory to God. So what we read in this description from Paul, it's an accurate description of all of mankind. Man refuses to give glory to God, but he instead gives glory that God deserves to everything else. That's what he says in verses 23. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. For images. So we see this great but terrible exchange. We see that we've exchanged God's glory for the glory of another. But we probably are left asking, why is God worthy of glory? Why is God worthy of glory? I want to read from Psalm 19 because it's the first six verses are really the fulfillment of what Paul is about to unpack in the next few verses. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout 
all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Why is God worthy of glory? Well, Paul says the wrath of God is revealed against men who have rejected God's glory. And then he explains why. He says they have known about God. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. There's an argument in Scripture that is a perfectly valid argument that's called natural revelation by theologians, but you can go outside general revelation. You can go outside and look, and we can see that this had to be created by something. We take it for granted every day. We take it for granted constantly. But we believe every morning that the sun's going to rise and the sun's going to set at exactly the appropriate time. We can even calculate that. Look, at, look on your phone and you know that that sun's going to set at a different time every day as the earth rotates on its axis as it's going around the sun at a, special, a specific angle. And all of that creates the seasons which we know we have regularity in God's creation. And it's all perfectly aligned in the solar system that we're not too close to the sun, not too far from the sun. There's evidence that we are divinely placed Specifically here, the probability is absolutely unheard of that we should be here, but yet here we are. Yet what do we do? We do everything that we can to try to deny that God exists. We try to, I mean, just think about how futile, how stupid it is to try to come up with all these reasons to try to explain away God when it's just so clearly there. And we have to ask the question, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to try to explain away God? And it's really just, Paul's straightforward here. It's because we want to take what God deserves, His glory, and we want to take it for ourselves. And the reality is, is because that glory, if we, when we do realize that it belongs to God alone, we recognize the weight the magnitude of our rebellion against Him. Why is God worthy of glory? Because He is God. He's created all things. He controls all things. He is good. But Paul says, Look at mankind. He's rejected God. Tom Schreiner, to summarize this rejection, he says, correcting our view of what sin is, he says, sin does not consist first and foremost in acts that transgress God's law. As all the verses 24 through 32, what we'll cover next week, they indicate that sin is the transgression of the law. He says these particular acts, so our transgressions, when we talk about sins, they are rooted in a rejection of God as God, a failure to give Him honor and glory. 
See, we obsess over sins, but we don't think through what is the root cause of all those sins. It's our refusal to give glory and honor to God that He is due. God's glory and the demand that all creation must glorify Him is clearly evident. It's clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So we are without excuse. Paul says, if you want to try to hold on, come up with a reason. We love trying to come up with reasons to justify ourselves. Paul just says, look, without excuse. You can't excuse yourself from this. He says, although they knew God, so we all know in our consciences that He is there, that He has created all things. Mankind, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we see what mankind has done. They've rejected God. We have rejected God. But maybe you would ask, well, why is God's glory so important? Why is Paul obsessed over this? If I haven't made it clear enough, let's just think about this. This foolish mistake. If mankind, he's exchanged the incorruptible for the corruptible. God, who is the creator of all things, he holds all things together. He is good. He is perfect. He is righteous. Yet we have exchanged him and his glory and his created purposes for the things that we want to do. We're exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man and the ridiculousness of this world. So, this isn't just a foolish mistake. And any attempt to say that this exchange that we've made is just a foolish mistake denies the truth, our culpability, our decision. To reject God. For we've all done that. It's not just a foolish mistake. It's an offense against all that is good. And God will have His glory. Now there might be some objections at this point. You might say, well, all this talk about God and His glory and why He deserves glory that He created us for His glory, and all this, you might say, isn't it wrong that God demand He be glorified? Isn't that selfish? You might have that, that question. That might come into your mind, but here is the thing. We are tempted to think that way because we believe that God is like us. And in doing, we're doing the exact same same thing that Paul is condemning here. We are exchanging the divine for the human. We're trying to put a human character and our brokenness that is the only thing we know onto God. You see, God is not like us. God is not like us. We were created in His image to reflect His glory. So to do anything other than that is to reject His created purpose. And if it's He's the Creator and that's His purpose, we've rejected that from the get-go and deserve condemnation. 
we might be tempted to think that it's wrong for God to demand glory, but that's just our brokenness on display. I love how John Piper addresses this. I would encourage you to, there are many of, he's written a ton of books. One of the books that he wrote is really helpful in through in this, uh, working through this is called Desiring God. And, uh, he talks about the idea of uh, Christian hedonism, which is a really important thing for us to think through. What has God created us for? For us to, if we look at that second question, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And we enjoy Him when He is most glorified. But Popper sums this up. Why is it right for God to be glorified? And why is it actually what's in our best interest if we are seeking to glorify Him in everything that we do? Well, if we've got to correct our idea about who God is so that we might approach Him and know Him rightly. Piper says this, he says, God is the one being for whom Self-exaltation is the most loving act. See, that goes against everything that we can think about. We think self-exaltation is sin, but not for God. Because He is exalting for us what alone can satisfy us fully and forever. If we exalt ourselves, we are not loving because we distract people from the one person who can make them happy forever, God. But if God exalts Himself, He draws attention to the one person who can make us happy forever, Himself. God's glory is important because He is the greatest thing that we can know and our greatest joy, our greatest fulfillment, our hope, our security rests in Him and in Him alone. So what we must do is recognize that our sin is a rebellion against God an exchange of God's glory for the glory of created things. So Paul says, they claimed to be wise, yet they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, this goes right back to why is the wrath of God revealed? What is it revealed against? It's revealed against the ungodliness of man, that vertical relationship, and the unrighteousness of man, that horizontal relationship. So the wrath of God is revealed against those things because both those, that vertical axis and that horizontal axis, axis have been skewed. It's been broken. That connection is broken and it's messed up. We don't rightly relate to one another. We don't rightly relate to God because we refuse to glorify God in all that we do. So the solution is to see God's glory and to be reconciled to God because of our condemnation that we deserve because of His wrath against unrighteousness. 
So we need to be rescued. But again, you may ask, well, why is it so important for us to get the vertical fixed before we get the horizontal fixed? It's important because when God's glory is set as our greatest purpose, all of our other priorities get set in their proper place. When God's glory is set as our primary purpose, when we realize that all that we are to do is to glorify God, everything else falls in its place. You don't love your children well, and you won't love your children as well as you should if you don't love God first and keep His truth as the guiding light for your family. When we elevate our children above God, we say, well, I don't want to offend them. I want to do what's best for them, what they want, instead of leading them according to God's purpose. We reject God's glory for the glory of another. But the most loving thing we can do, as Piper pointed out, is to make them, show them that our greatest love, our greatest joy is to give God glory. The same thing goes in marriage. If you don't love your spouse well, or if you won't love your spouse well, if you don't love God first. You can make an idol out of marriage. Whether you're married now or not married yet. If you're, we put our hope there, if we don't put God's glory first, then we'll inevitably screw things up. You can't be a good friend. You can be an okay friend, but you can't be the greatest friend to someone else if God is not first, if bringing Him glory, if living according to His commands and His guidance aren't first in your mind and heart. That happens. Friendships are rooted in this community, this love that we need, but Friendships are often one of those things that lead us most quickly into sin because we don't want to offend our friend or we want affirmation from someone else. We want that relationship, but what we're called to do is to live according to God's glory, and that inevitably means that we will have to speak the truth to our friends, to our spouses, to our children, but that truth is God's glory, God's plan for us. If your goal isn't first and foremost to glorify God in all that you do to follow His commands and to look after Him, you won't love the church as you should. The church will become a means for self-fulfillment, for the justification of sins or the meeting of a, a need that it's not supposed to. And if God isn't the priority, if His glory is not the priority, then we end up making an idol even out of church. You can do this with your job. Of course, we do it with a million different things in this world. If we don't see that our greatest purpose, what God has created us to do, is to bring Him glory through living faithfully according to His commands, to live faithfully representing His character, then 
we'll look at the world as something that we can take for ourselves because we want to bring glory to ourselves. We want to secure things for ourselves. And we won't see it as something we've been called to steward, cultivate, and use for the glory of God. Do you see all the ways in which we've exchanged the glory of God for something else? This is what Paul is saying. See, they says they claim to be wise, yet they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. When he says images, that's purposefully reflecting back on the very nature of what God's created purpose for man was to image Him, to represent Him. But instead, we are rejecting God and building images. He says they resemble mortal man, birds, animals, and He takes this descending order. He says not only has man exchanged the images of man, uh, exchanged God for God, the images of man. You think about the idols of uh, the the Greek gods, the Roman gods, you think about that. He says not only that, he said they've exchanged the glory, not even in God's creation, his, His pinnacle of creation, mankind, which is absolutely abhorrent, but man is so debased, so blind, so darkened in their hearts, that they're even exchanging the glory of God for creeping things. The unclean things of the Old Testament. The things that are gross, things that are nasty. This is how debased man's heart is. But this is what happens when we reject the glory of God for the glory of creation. We get a terrible exchange. Guess what? We bought it. We exchanged. We did this exchange. We exchanged truth for lies. We exchanged the beauty of the divine for darkened hearts. Just think about that. The the beauty that God has created, all that we know and see, placed us here on this earth in the perfect place of this universe so that life might flourish and glorify Him, display His beauty, and we've exchanged that for a lie that says you are meaningless, you're just a result of random chances. And it's a nihilistic attitude that takes away any purpose, any meaning for our lives other than self. Do we see this terrible exchange? But most importantly, do we see why we make that exchange and why it's so attractive to our broken hearts? Because anything that we can do to justify glorifying ourselves over God and our brokenness, we will do. We exchange God's glory for man. The irony is that we have made the worst trade-off imaginable. Yet we continue to double down on our bets. Like an addicted gambler who's losing everything. We double down on our bets instead of repenting. 
Two wrongs don't make a right. Neither do three. We can't get ourselves out of this mess. The only way to rescue us from our terrible exchange is for God to make one Himself. That's why Paul says, in the Gospel, the wrath of God is revealed. You see, in the exchange that we have embraced, we've become blinded, our hearts have become darkened, we've become fools. But God is the only one who can save us. So God has sent His Son, who's the light of the world, the light and life that shines light into the darkness of men. And the beauty of this, because we think back to the wrath of God is revealed against uh, the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of men. That broken relationship. That the wrath of God is revealed showing how we've rejected God, but how is then the wrath and the glory of God revealed? It's the wrath of God revealed because we rejected the glory that God was due, that He deserved. And God is going to do that by showing our selfishness on display, and He does that through the work of the cross. You see, what? look at what happens at the cross. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has stepped into the world, taken on flesh, become like us, lived with us. And what happens? As He faithfully images God to men, as He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He reveals the goodness of God, the glory of God, and what does mankind do to Him? They reject Him. They crucify Him. Saying we'd rather have Caesar as king than Him. So what is God doing? You see, the wrath of God is revealed in the Gospel and that God pours out His wrath on His Son, demonstrating the foolishness of our attempts to find control and glory apart from Him because it's through our most, the most evil act in the world, this rebellion against God and the crucifixion of God in the flesh, that God demonstrates His grace to redeem sinners. He shows that the world truly is foolish. But what does He do all at the same time? He reveals His glory because He shows no matter your sin, no matter your brokenness, I can make things right. The glory of God is revealed in salvation through judgment, as God shows the wrath that we deserve, shows the foolishness of our man-glorifying, the rejection of God's glory, and then demonstrates His perfect justice, His perfect love, and His abundant grace through Christ. 
there's glory revealed in the gospel. When we would not glorify God, God stood in to glorify himself through redeeming us so that we might once again glorify God in our lives. But what does he require? He requires nothing but that we would believe. And in that belief, we recognize that rebellion. That's why Paul says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We've all rejected God. We've all exchanged the glory of God for the glory of ourselves but God in His power has made possible reconciliation so that we might once again glorify God. In the Gospel, God's grace and His righteousness and His wrath all come together to demonstrate His glory which is exactly what we've rejected. My prayer for us is that we would see this grace. We'd see this grace and this opportunity God's call provided for us to trust in Him and to know what we are created for. We know how much we mess things up in our day-to-day relationships. We know how messed up the world is around us. We can see it. You don't need much evidence. You just got to go turn on your television, pick up your phone, and you'll see it everywhere. But we'd be fools if we didn't see it in our hearts. But God gives new hearts to those who trust in Him. His grace is revealed in the gospel. His righteousness is revealed in the gospel. His glory is revealed in the gospel. So, will we remain fools? Or will we trust in Him? Will we realize the futility of our self-glorifying efforts? Or will we see the glory of God and the cross of Christ? Will we realize our rebellion against the Holy God? Will we recognize His grace extended to us sinners? My prayer for us today is that we would see His glory, that we would know what we were created for, and we recognize His grace in showing and providing a way for us to once again glorify Him with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we need Your help. need Your help to, Lord, open up our hearts to show us the sickness that 
Lord, has so often festered in there. We need your help to open our eyes that we might see, Lord, our foolish rejection of you in exchange for this world. Lord, we need your help to show us what we were originally created to, be, to do and to be. Lord, image bearers seeking to bring you glory. Lord, may we see how this rejection has led to the brokenness all around us. Lord, may you show us just how broken we are so we might see our need. Because we don't know, we won't realize how good this salvation is apart from the realization of your just wrath against us. So God, even as you help us to understand your justice, may we see, Lord, in equal measure, Lord, your grace extended to us through your Son who stood in our place. Lord, may you give us hearts to believe. And Lord, may our lives glorify you. We pray that this would be the case, Lord, for us individually. For I pray this for everyone in this room, all those who are watching with us. But Lord, may this be evident in our church. May we be a people who do nothing to glorify ourselves, but Lord, that bring glory to you in all that we do. May we see this as the root cause of sin. And Lord, through that recognition, Lord, may you help us put to death our sin to identify all the ways in which we have rejected your glory for our own so that we might push those aside and, Lord, begin living in faith to glorify you. Lord, may we always recognize this is not something we can do on our own. But, Lord, you make it possible through the promise of eternal life in your Son by trusting in Christ. So, Lord, help us to see Christ. Give us faith, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And Lord, may you be glorified in us. We pray all this in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.